Good morning, Grace Point. Uh, if you're a 6th through 12th grader, you can head on down to your class downstairs. Uh, thanks, Nathaniel. Uh, it is so, so good to see you. Um, anything going on today? <laughs> Nothing? Okay, fine. It's going to be a boring day. Um, so um, this is MLK weekend. It's the weekend when we honor and remember the legacy and work of Dr. King. And it's also a weekend to remember uh, how far we've come, but also how far we have to go. Uh, how that we've made a lot of progress in some ways, but that we haven't gotten anywhere near far enough yet. Um, around a whole host of issues that in some ways the dream of King is still unfulfilled completely. Uh, we still have a significant white supremacist problem in this country and in this world. Um, we have a problem in, in our state here with uh, legislatures patching, passing anti-LGBTQ legislation. Um, we have a climate change problem. <laughs> we, the, the, the problems are mounting, uh, and yet I do believe that King was correct, that he, he could foresee a day when these injustices were dealt with. Uh, and that's what we're working for. We're working to leave a better world for the people who come after us and the people who come after them. And so this week we remember that that tension exists, the tension between celebrating absolutely that we are farther than we were, uh, but not getting comfortable believing that we've gone far enough, that there are still people who are oppressed and marginalized, and those people should no longer be oppressed and marginalized. So we have work to do. Uh, and some of that work involves what we're going to talk, to, talk about today. We're going to talk about prayer um, uh, as part of our rhythm series. And the reason we're doing this is because we want the Titans to win. So we're at the end. <laughs> we're just going to have this big collective prayer together. Um, that's right. There we go. There we go. We might get Pentecostal in here before it's over with. Um, and I think, um, so what we're doing in this series, Rhythm, is we're looking at that a lot of us who have gone through whatever you want to call it, a change of our faith, deconstruction, I prefer the language of unraveling, um, whatever that language you use is, we've gone through that. And then when we look back on some of the disciplines or practices that were a part of our spirituality before, we don't always know what to do with them. And prayer, I think, is the elephant in the room of all these conversations. When you no longer see things the same way, what becomes of prayer? And does it make any sense for a person, a progressive Christian in 2020 to talk about prayer, to think about prayer, to even, uh, you know, say I'm praying for you or anything like that? So the, the question we often begin with is how does prayer work? I actually think there's a question before that was does prayer work? Right? Not just how does it work, but I think we're in a, a place of even saying is it even something that works at all? And I want to begin with this verse in 1 Thessalonians 5.17. It's two words, um, and it's super difficult. Here it is. Ready? Pray continually. Anybody got that down? Pray continually. It sounds like a really bad instruction manual. So a couple years ago for Christmas, we got our littles a trampoline, a little mini trampoline, had a net. Uh, It got blown away after two days because I didn't anchor it down. But for that two days, when they had it, it was a joy. But the problem was, it was January, it was much like it had been, been around here lately, it was warmer, so I went outside and tried to put the trampoline together, and opened up the instruction booklet, and every picture was just showing you a completed step. Not like, how do you get there? Just, this is what it should look like if you've done it correctly. And I promise you, our neighbors heard me say about anything and everything under the sun of that trampoline, and finally we got it together with some leftover pieces. Um, but it felt like that, right? Like... Like, you come to the Bible, and you're looking for something helpful, and Paul is closing down this letter. He's like, I got you. Pray continually. <laughs> like, showing us a completed step and not even talking about how you possibly 
get there. It raises all sorts of questions. When I heard this verse as a kid, I thought pray continually meant always keep your eyes shut, and which seemed like a problem if you're going to try to drive or use a chainsaw or any of those things you might find yourself doing that you need to pray during. Um, so I want to talk about that today. Because it seems like pray continually is really only something for special people. People who have attained a spiritual level that I'm not even sniffed, right? People like Mother Teresa, people like Pope Francis, people like Bono. Um, (laughs) Don't know why you're laughing. I mean that very thoroughly. But (laughs) uh, those sorts of people who seem to be tapped in and plugged in in a level that we're not, that I'm not. um, And it seems like something is just always without out of my grasp, which also leads into the whole shame bit of religion, where it's like we just never measure up and we can never do enough or we can never pray enough, attend, like do anything enough. And so today I want to talk about that. Like I have some questions, like why do some prayers seem to get answered and others don't? Anybody ever wondered about that? I know people who are convinced, utterly, completely convinced that God gives them parking spots at Walmart. Like we'll enter into a debate and tell you, I we were looking for a parking spot. We prayed. Boom, one opened up. It's not a timing issue. It's the divine hand of God moving a car, putting mine in the spot, right? Like, why does it seem like some people get what they ask for? Why does it seem like when Clemson won the first round of the playoffs and God had, God's favor was on their side? And I was really just interested to see what would happen after they got beat. Like, where did God's favor go? But we have that sort of mentality. Like, our team, our way, our country. Like, when we go to war, we're in conflict. People on one side are praying, and people on the other side are praying. And one side wins, and one side loses. Like, why do some people's prayers get answered and some don't? Why does a prayer that a kid will get into the right college get answered, and then a parent who's praying for their hungry baby to be fed doesn't get answered? Right? These are really, really, really difficult questions. Why do some answers get answers? Why do some don't? And then the other thing is, what's the right amount of people praying? Have you heard people when they talk about this, we need to get a lot of people praying? Like, what's the right number? Like, how do you know you've gotten the right number? Is it like getting a petition recognized at the White House? Like, you get 100,000 signatures, and God's like, yes, I'll read that. All right, is that how it works? Does it work that, like, you're praying for something serious, and you get 1,999 people praying, and God's like, oh, you're just one short of the quota, so I'm going to have to pass. Like, how does that work? Does God need a certain number of people talking to God? And just right off the front end, let me give you a disclaimer. Uh, I don't know how this intervention business works. Most of the time, I don't think it does. Um, what I mean is, I don't typically believe that God pops in randomly when you do it, say the right words or get enough people praying and goes bippity boppity boo for this one thing, and then God looks at something else that's far more, far more complicated and difficult and says, ah, I'm just not going to chime in on that one. It seems like if you give God credit for the good things, you also have to give God credit for the bad things. If you want to give God credit for showing up, then you have to give God credit for not showing up. Does that make sense? Like, it's a really complicated thing. I also will say, I believe in mystery, and just because I don't know how something works doesn't mean it doesn't work. Um, So I also live with that tension in my life. Like, if I I can't explain it, does that mean it's unexplainable? Probably not. Um, So I, I live with that. And I also, even though I don't necessarily believe in intervention in that way, I still pray like I do. I mean, I pray for friends, I pray for family, I pray for you, I pray for lots of things, all the time, not knowing how it works. I remember when our son was, our oldest was two, uh, he developed this, um, what we know now is a, a virus called fifth disease or sixth disease. It was something that c- gives you a rash and causes a high fever. 
And one, he seemed to be better. And on a Sunday afternoon after church, I came home and he was, his fever was spiking. So we took him to urgent care and we walk, we park and go into the urgent care and we're sitting in the lobby filling out paperwork and he has a seizure. And they called it a febrile seizure. It had to do with his temperature spiking too quickly, and that was his body's response to it. But I'll never forget holding him in my arms and watching him seize up, and then them taking him from me and taking him into a room and started. They called for the crash cart because they needed some supplies from it. But when I heard crash cart, I immediately was like, no! All right, and it was just this terrible moment, and the first thing I did was pray. And the first thing I wanted to do was ask everybody I know to pray. Right? So I may not believe in intervention in that way all the time, but man, I pray like I do. And I think that that has other benefits as well we'll talk about in a bit. So that's just my disclaimer. I'm not an expert on prayer. I'm really not an expert on anything. Uh, I'm just trying to figure this out with you as we move forward. And so I want to talk a little bit about what what can we say maybe prayer isn't? Because there are some things that I feel pretty confident that prayer isn't. I I think prayer isn't an Amazon wish list. Right? Anybody use Amazon wish lists? Anybody make them public just hoping somebody will buy you something even accidentally? (laughs) Is that a thing? Is that a thing? It's transformed. I, I have this issue where I, I'll, my parents will say, what do you want for Christmas? Here's an Amazon wish list. But then I can't wait. I hope they don't hear this. I can't wait to see what they've gotten me. So I'll go on and like hit the button where it shows you what you got. So I could be really excited, right? So I'm bad at that. But it's not, this, it's not this wish list where you just sort of dial in and say, here are all the things that I want on my shopping spree, right? Uh, I don't think prayer is about bargaining or manipulating God. Anybody have this? Have you ever had kids where they want ice cream or a cookie, and, but they haven't eaten their dinner, and you start this negotiation process by which you conclude the number of bites that have to be taken for them to get the ice cream at the end? Anybody else have, this, have done this? Does it ever feel like that's what you're trying to do with God? It's like, God, if you will help me out, did not study, have never studied in my life, need to pass this test. If you help me pass this test, I will become a model student. And you pass the test and then you never become a model student, right? Like, but in the moment, you, you drive by a police officer and you know you're speeding, you know you're guilty, you know you should be pulled over, and what do you start doing? Oh, dear, six-pound, eight-ounce baby Jesus, if you just get me, <laughs> if you just get me through this one, don't let them pull me over, I will be a law-abiding citizen, right? Like, and we, we approach God that way. We want to bargain with God, or worse, we want to manipulate God. We want to, like, as if we could, find the right language to make God realize that we're really on the team and God needs to do what we want God to do. I also don't think that prayer is about this sort of shaming that we often use prayer for. I've been told within the last two weeks by at least four people that they're praying for me, and every time it felt like a threat. Has anybody else ever had that happen? Like, you have a conversation at the end, like, well, I'll be praying for you. I'm like, please don't. I cannot imagine that anything you would be asking for me is anything I want or need in my life. If you could just not bring my name up with God, I would appreciate it, right? But I think that's how prayer can be used. We use it as a way of saying, I am more pious and holy than you, right? I'm, I am more uh, sacred than you. Now, we'll talk about, there is a part of being prayed for that can be super encouraging and uplifting, but I'm talking about a specific use where we're trying to get people to do what we want them to do, and we use prayer as the mechanism to shame them and get them to do it. Have you ever heard somebody pray, and it seemed like they were praying, and it was really, they were just trying to say a lot of stuff about you, right? Yeah, yeah, that's not what prayer is for. I got to say, prayer is not a substitution for action. We have an epidemic in this country called thoughts and prayers um, that's become a massive cop-out for doing anything measurable or transformative in the world. Something bad happens and we immediately start sending our thoughts and prayers. 
but what we're really ultimately saying is, I'm going to stay back over here, and I'm going to think about it and pray about it, but don't ask me to exhibit any amount of moral courage. Don't ask me to exhibit any amount of, of uh, sacrifice in some way that I'm going to put myself on the line for this. I think you can see this in our country in all sorts of ways. Every time there's a mass shooting, what is immediate? What is the immediate thing? Thoughts and prayers. And what do the politicians say? It's too early to talk about changing anything. We just need to keep thinking and praying. Well, at some point, thoughts and prayers mean nothing if it's not backed up with actual concrete action that makes the world better, right? We can talk all we want about the climate change problem, and we can pray about it and pray about it and pray about it, but I can promise you nothing's going to change if we don't take some actual concrete actions to curb our use of fossil fuels on this planet. So thoughts and prayers, yeah, it can be a, a nice thing to do and to say, and everybody thinks you're really holy and pious for saying it. But sometimes it becomes a cop-out. I love what Pope Francis says. Prayer that doesn't lead to concrete action toward our brothers and sisters is a fruitless and incomplete prayer. Prayer and action must always be profoundly united. And he has a more famous quote where he says, you pray for someone who's hungry and then you feed them because that's how prayer works. Right, so perhaps when we pray, maybe the question we need to be asking is, what am I willing to do to see this change? If I'm going to pray for fewer shootings in this country, what am I going to do to help bring that into reality? If I'm going to pray for a a, a more sustainable earth, what am I going to do to bring that into reality? If I'm going to pray that somehow, some way, justice will prevail and that white supremacy will be gone and that uh, homophobia will be erased, if we're going to pray for those things, we also need to be asking the questions, what am I willing to do to bring that world into existence? So I, I, think something, I think those are some of the things we think a lot about when we think about prayer, but I don't think those are the actual gifts. So here's what I think prayer could be, and at least what I'm hoping it'll be in my own life. And first, I, I think prayer could be about focus and, uh, and intention. Prayer is a way of me focusing and me being a more in, intent person. One of my goals for this year was that I would be a more intentional human being. Because uh, I don't know how your life is, but sometimes it feels like I'm, I'm just flying at 90 miles an hour and everything's just sort of haphazard and there's no real focus to it. And so part of my goal, not really working out yet, but I'm hoping it's early. Um, I want to be a person of intention. And I think taking moments, I think prayer is one of the ways that we can focus ourselves and focus our energy and focus our attention in a way that will help us be more thoughtful and intent human beings. Um, I think prayer is about, ultimately can be about awareness. Prayer can be about making us aware, of course, aware of God, right? The one in whom we live, move, and exist. But prayer also can be a way of us becoming aware of ourselves, of who we are, of what we bring into the world, of what our needs are, about where our pain lies, about where our work, what our work looks like and what is ours to do. And of course, prayer makes us aware of other people. I don't know if you're aware of this. There are seven billion of us on the planet. Seven billion human beings. And contrary to the way I act in traffic, I am not the only one that matters, right? Like, we, we kind of get in those, those um, words, ruts, where it's just us and our life and our... No, no, prayer is a way of making us aware that there are lots and lots of people around us. Lots and lots of people with hopes and dreams, lots and lots of people with needs, lots and lots of people that God dearly loves around us all the time. And I think prayer is a way of keeping ourselves aware of that. Prayer is a source of, can be a source of strength and support. Like I said, you can be told someone's praying for you and it can sound like a threat, or you can be told someone's praying for you and it gives you a sense of encouragement. And there have actually been studies where people who knew they were being prayed for fared better than people who weren't. 
What is part of that? I think part of that is knowing that somebody cares about you. Somebody has your back. Somebody's thinking about you. And Marcus Borg, who, who would say that he really didn't believe in intervention in that way, also said he still prayed like he did. And one of the things he said was that if the only thing that happens during prayer when I pray for somebody is that I remember them and it makes me more likely to reach out to them and to share compassion, show compassion to them and to show attention to them, then prayer has worked. Right? This idea of being aware that there are other people and then reaching out to show support. So praying for somebody may be followed with a concrete action, right? A card or a gift certificate to a meal or just, hey, I'm here for you or an edible arrangement, which I think is the height of uh, of fanciness. Like I've received one one time and it's the greatest gift I've ever been given, right? Like so maybe something like, like whatever causes you to not only be aware of them, but then to act in solidarity with them. I think prayer is about opening ourselves to mystery. Something that my faith would not allow, both when I was in my pre-deconstruction phase and then even during my deconstruction unraveling, I only could think with my brain. Uh, And I could only believe things that I could make sense in my brain. And on the other side of that, it's been a gift to come back around to the realization of mystery and that there there are things you just can't explain. There are things that don't make sense and yet they exist. And so what if prayer is a way of opening ourselves to saying, we don't have it all figured out and we are open to learning something new, we are open to engaging in new ways, we are open to having our minds and hearts transformed in ways we can't even imagine yet. I think the height of arrogance is to think, well, if I can't make sense of it, then it can't be. Or if I can't give it, you know, a a doctrinal statement, then it must be something heretical. No, no, no. There are lots of things we just don't understand. And yet mystery has a way of inviting us to be transformed by it. And I also think prayer helps us process things whether that's things we're celebrating or, or most particularly things that have wounded us or caused us to be angry. One of my favorite psalms, I think it's Psalm 13, where the psalm basically begins with the psalmist shaking the fist at the sky and saying, where were you? Look at me. Answer me. Like the psalmist is saying to the divine, you look at me when I'm talking to you. Right? It's this powerful, gutsy, angry, wounded cry. And I think that we have so believed that the only appropriate things are sort of the nice prim and proper prayers where we say all the right words, when in reality, sometimes prayer is just shaking your fist at the sky and going, where were you? Where were you? And I really do ultimately think prayer is, is what love calls us to do. I pray for people ultimately because I love them or I want to love them. Right? And I think those are two important distinctions. <laughs> there are people I love and I pray for them pretty easily. There are people I don't love, enemies who, and by the way, when, I think the appropriate prayer for your enemy is not God smite them, right? Like I was really confused for a while because um, in a small town, you know, I, everybody knew I was a pastor and I was doing uh, football broadcasts. I was doing commentary on local football broadcasts and I would always be in the booth and they would forget to get somebody to pray before a football game. I don't know why we're doing this. And they would say, hey, will you come pray for the football game? And you have one of two options. One is you pray, but you have no idea what you're supposed to say at a football game. Or two, you say no, and they're like, oh, he's one of those preachers, right? Like, so I can remember, like, thinking about what do you pray at a football game? Is it God help us to smite our enemies? Like, may the field be riddled with the bones of the vanquished? Like, I don't know exactly what you pray at a football game. Uh, but, uh, so I, I don't think we should pray that for our enemies, probably. But there are plenty of examples in the Bible of people praying really angry prayers, hopefully that caused, kept them from acting in really angry ways. I think it's a way to process, but it's what love calls us to do. It calls us to pray. 
causes us to remember, causes us to be open in ways we don't want to be open or haven't been open before. It invites us into another level of what it means to be human. I love what John Shelby Spong says when he is writing in one of his last books about uh, what he expects when he prays. I expect to be made more whole, to be set free to share my life more deeply with others, to be enabled to love beyond my boundaries and to watch the barriers that divide me from those I once avoided lowered. Prayer to me is the practice of the presence of God, the act of embracing transcendence and the discipline of sharing with another the gifts of living, loving, and being. I'm gonna be straight up honest with you. I don't know that I've ever prayed and walked out feeling like that happened. Right, that is a lofty expectation. But I think it's possible. This is a human being who says, when I pray, I expect to be transformed by it. I expect to think differently about those who oppose me and my enemies. I expect to be more open to the people around me to share my life and to share love and to share the gifts of being with them. And what if that was the ultimate goal of prayer? It wasn't to get our wish list fulfilled, but it was to open us up to live in a more fully human sort of way. So a few what ifs. And then uh, we're going to have a practice together. Um, what, if, what if prayer doesn't have boundaries? What if that's the good news? What if, when we think about prayer, it doesn't begin when you say, dear God, and end when you say, amen? What if prayer has nothing to do with your eyes being open or closed? What if prayer is about a posture of the heart, about a way you're perceiving the world around you, about intention and focus and awareness, and about uh, see, maybe seeing the world through different eyes? What if prayer is really a thing you can do all the time? What if you actually can pray continually? but not with words even, just with your openness. There's this other great line by Paul in Romans where he says there's times we don't know how to pray or what to pray for, and so the spirit groans within us. There's a kind of prayer that just is being present to the moment. I found as a person who deals in words a lot, my initial impulse is to always throw words at something. And what I've found over 20 years as a pastor is there's some moments when you're in a room and the ground is so sacred and holy and the pain is so deep that you honestly saying nothing is saying everything right, so what if prayer doesn't have that kind of boundary that we put dear god amen what if it's something completely more vast and open and accessible what if there are no right words what if there really aren't any right words and what if no words that's sometimes exactly the words you need and what if the goal of prayer like the how it works bit of prayer what if it's about being open to the work of transformation what if that's it? What if the goal of prayer isn't to get what I want? What if the goal of prayer isn't to somehow say all the things that make me sound really deep and spiritual? What if the goal of prayer is about my presence and my openness to what the divine wants to do in me and through me in the world? I think there's a reason why in several key moments of Jesus' life, the, the writers of the Gospels clearly want us to know that he's been praying. When the stress and the anguish and the difficulty pile up, they make really, really a point to say to us, and Jesus slipped off and had some time in prayer, and it did something in him. I love this from John Dominic Crossan, the way he describes prayer. If you imagine God with the metaphor of a person, prayer means speaking with a person. But if you imagine God with the metaphor of a process, prayer means acting collaboratively with that process. All right, so a person is a metaphor we use for God all the time, right? We'll talk about um, father, mother, God, we'll, we'll use those kind of images. We'll sometimes use inanimate images, right? Like a rock, God's the rock, God is the rock. And what if, what he's saying is, what if we used an image for God as a process 
the process that's leading everything forward. I know it's really dark sometimes and it's really difficult and painful and there's a lot of injustice in the world, but I tend to agree with Dr. King that the moral arc of the universe is long and it does bend toward justice. And that God is pulling everywhere somewhere good. Everything is headed somewhere good, even when it doesn't seem like it. Even when the dark is the darkest, it's still headed somewhere good. The light is coming. What if prayer was us entering into that process? Joining God in the bringing light to the darkness. Joining God in bringing healing to the hurts of the world. Joining God in bringing wholeness to broken moments and situations. What if we saw prayer not as just our stuff we're throwing out there, does it even go beyond the roof? What if we saw prayer as communication and interaction with the the God who is right here, in whom we live, move, and exist, that is pulling everywhere someplace good, someplace positive, someplace transformative, and someplace life-giving? What if that's what prayer is all about? Not getting the right words. So today, uh, realize sometimes, uh, how many of you, by the way, I talked about Sabbath last week. How many of you, I got lots of messages. How many of you took a nap at any point? Okay, I, I know there were some people who were like, man, that message, awesome, because I took a nap, right? So we want to give ourselves an opportunity to practice today. Um, so Lindsley Brooks is here. Lindsley, come on up. Lindsley's a life coach. Uh, she work, does work in spiritual development with folks. And Lindsley is going to lead us this morning through a guided time of prayer practice. Prayer isn't always like this. It isn't always with words or isn't always focused in a specific time and place. But we did this at 9 o'clock, and I just felt instantly calmer. Um, and so I hope it will have some, some good gifts to give us as well. Would you welcome Lindsley? to be with my Grace Point family talking about contemplation. It's a huge um, passion of mine, not only professionally, but um, personally. It's a big part of my spiritual practice, so thank you for having me. So before we sit, we're going to sit in a moment of silence, which may intimidate some of you, but it won't be long, I promise. And so I'd like to prepare us mentally, physically, and spiritually before we do that. So let's begin. Go ahead and try to get as comfortable as you can in your seat, uncrossing your legs and your arms, and begin to close the eyes if that feels safe to you, otherwise keeping the gaze low and soft. Settling in your chair, begin to lengthen the spine, feeling your shoulders stack over your hips, and begin to lift your heart center just a bit. Pulling the chin in slightly so that the nape of the neck is long and exposed. And placing the palms gently in your lap, either faced up or face down, depending on what you need today. Do you need to receive? Do you need to go inward? Gently rolling the eyes in and up, focused at the brow point. And just start to connect to your breath. Begin to breathe in deeply through the nose and out of the mouth. Keeping the eyes gently rolled in and up. Inhale and exhale. Feeling yourself getting more grounded in your seat. Letting any tension in the body just begin to melt away in the earth. Feeling the support of your chair the support of the earth. This is just awareness. Bringing awareness now to your physical body. 
Noticing the places that feel warm or cold. Places that might feel numb or tingling. Just notice. No judgment. No need to change anything. This is just you connecting and being with you. Contemplation is the practice of connecting to your body. It's connecting to its innate wisdom. I believe this is what Jesus meant when he said, the kingdom of God is within. And it is part of our responsibility as Christ followers and spiritual seekers to attune ourselves, to go within and discover what that kingdom of God is for each one of us. It is discovering the truest essence of who you are, the part of you that is ancient and wise. It's the part of you that's connected to your creativity, to your intuition, and it's the part of you that brought you here today. Contemplation is the practice of rewiring and training the brain to stay in the present moment. So invite yourself right now to be fully present here. Just notice, has your mind been chattering to you this whole time? Commentating, thinking about something that happened five minutes ago, this morning, maybe five years ago. Invite yourself to be fully present right now. And, and then there's a deeper practice of deeply connecting to the divine when you're in contemplation. To connect to the all that there is, the interconnectedness of all. The great I am. Contemplation allows you to go deeper into your connection with the oneness of all. So before we move into a time of silence, anchor yourself in with your breath. Notice your physical body. And then I'm going to introduce you to a centering prayer that you can use like a mantra to keep your mind in the present moment. This will help ground you even deeper. It comes from Psalms 46. Be still and know that I am God. I'm going to have us say that together, but when you say it, I want you to remove one word at a time until you're left with the word be. I'll do it once for us, and then you can do it after me. Be still and know that I am. Be still and know. Be still. Be. We'll say it together. Be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am. Be still and know. Be still. Be. We will now move into a two minutes of silence with the ringing of the bell, and I'll bring us back with the ringing of the bell.
Take a deep breath in and out of the mouth, bringing yourself back into your body, back into this room. Begin to gently wiggle the fingers and the toes and open your eyes. Can we thank Lindsley for being with us today?